I'm Sarah Jessica Parker as Harold Hill in The Music Man. And I'm Elaine Stritch as Millie Dillmount in Thoroughly Modern Millie. And I'm Francis Raffel as Elphaba from Wicked. <laughs> and this podcast won't run a week, your bi-weekly musical theater podcast where we talk about musicals. Oh, a role she was meant to play. Truly. Well, okay. <laughs> I have, I can't, I'm already starting. I'm Please sorry. begin. I just like so Frankie is a dear friend right in Mm -hmm. in in this studio I've had you ready I've had Judy I've had Randola and I've had Frankie the original trifecta so I know and like Les Mis is my it's you know the white cassette was introduced to me when I was very young and I was like (laughs) this is amazing but I have a great story of how I met Frankie and I love her um, very much. She actually um, uh, gave me her bed for the um, for the lake house that my husband and I just got. So we'll be sleeping on on Francis Raffel's bed um, very oh, shortly. Wow. That. But I have a great story of how I met her. When you're interested in that, oh, we cannot Amazing. wait. Amazing! <laughs> oh my god! Um, yeah. So I don't know if you can tell, we have a special third voice on the podcast today. Yeah. It is multi-hyphenate artiste, photographer to the stars, lover of all things musicals and Titanic, if I remember correctly. You are correct. <laughs> Mr. Michael Kushner. Hi. Hi. Thanks for Michael, having thank me. So, oh, thank you so much for being here. We are so excited. When you and I spoke about this, Kat and I immediately were like, we have to make this happen. We are so excited. We love you so much. I have no shame in saying that I invited myself. Like when you were in the studio, <laughs> Slee, and you were talking to me about this, I was like, I'll do Les Mis. <laughs> that's so real. Yeah, that's so real. Okay. And I was like, work. Okay. <laughs> Great. Just let me know when. Yeah. Normally we're, we're like, will you please do our podcast, Stranger on the Internet? Um, so it's always nice when someone invites themselves. Yes. Always welcome. Right. Especially when I know I'm going to bring a lot to the table. Absolutely. <laughs> Work. Absolutely. She oh, is researched. Like... She, she is learned. She is, um, how do they say in French, um, uh, les incompetents. That's from Home Alone. <laughs> oh my. Listen, Home Alone is Les Mis. It's the same. It's the same story. <laughs> it's same about story. it's a it's a journey about a man finding himself in relation to the world and what and goodness in people that may not be found good, I guess, but also like defending himself. So maybe it Absolutely. is. Maybe I think it, I think it is. Yeah, I mean, and the two those two men that come in and try to storm his house. I mean. Is that not Madame Tenardier and Tenardier? Which I can't wait to talk about. Oh, amazing. I can't oh. wait. Both, um, both both, of which are my absolute dream roles. So, yeah. Of course. Of course. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, before we get into it, how are we all doing today? What's going on? How are we feeling? Listen, we're feeling good. The antidepressant yeah. is working. 
It really is. We love it. Um, I'm back in New York um, working on Gollum owned a tropical smoothie. The workshop, uh, a friend of mine, uh, let me fill you in, Michael. Um, my friend Garrett Palladian and Ethan Crystal. Um, Garrett was in Stranger Things with me. He played Steve and Papa. And um, he wrote a musical called Gollum Owned a Tropical Smoothie. And it is wild. It's a puppet musical. It's so absurd. It's so funny. Um, but we're doing a workshop of it uh, next week. And it's, I'm just so excited for them. And it's so great. So we're in the thick of rehearsal right now. Oh my gosh, congrats. That sounds amazing. It's so fun. I'm so proud of them. They've been working on it for so long. And I'm, it's so great that they're getting it up on its feet. Do you guys like absurdist, weird musicals, like theater cruelty stuff? Like, I love it. Yes. I love the weirder, the better. Have you heard of this show called Shockheaded Peter? No. Oh. Yeah. Research Shockheaded Peter. Shockheaded Peter. Yeah. It yeah. was in the West End in 05 and then came off Broadway in 07. But it's like, um, it's like children's stories, but like nightmare version. And it's like done with like, like um puppets and it's like theater of the grotesque it's like really scary really weird like there's like this like um the music is all sung by like what seems i don't know the show so well i just know the music the music seems to be sung by like a castrati so it's like all up here and singing like this with an accordion and like they're all wow white crusty makeup and like it's really incredible. But one of my favorite songs from it is called Bully Boys. Um, no, 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 no. Um, Snip Snip is my favorite one. And Snip Snip is about this kid that won't stop sucking his thumb. So a monster comes and cuts off his thumb. <gasps> Amazing. Oh, my God. There's a, Is there like a studio recording of it? Yeah, there's there's a cast album. There's also oh. a, gr- a great video on YouTube that like is like a reel, like a sizzle reel of the show, and it's just like a fever dream. I actually did a production of Drood set to the style of Shockheaded Peter, which is really really cool. Oh, oh my god, that is so cool. Yeah, it was I... awesome. That's what we'll talk about next time you're on the pod. Yeah, How about sounds that? good. I love that. <laughs> right. love that. Oh. oh, that's so great. Yeah, no, we are we are total fans of absurdity and like just breaking the boundaries of like what musical theater can be. Like we talk about that all the time about um, just like, like we talked about Amelie last week and how that was very much towing the line of trying to be absurdist. Um, And we thought, you know, maybe it could go further. Uh, But I just saw Here Lies Love. Have you seen Here Lies Love? I saw it at the public years ago. Oh, you did. Okay. Well, I just saw it and like, I know that's not absurdist. Yeah, but it was like so innovative. Um, I loved it. It was just so, I'm so excited to see what else will come after something like that too. Yeah, I loved, I loved Here Lies Love. I, and I was so lucky that I got to see Ruthie do it. Oh yeah. Um, which she was amazing. And that was the first time I'd ever heard of her or seen her perform was Here Lies Love. And I was just like hooked. I was like, wow, you are She's amazing, and I loved the show. Um, I can't wait to see it again on on at the Broadway. But um, yes, at the Broadway. Yeah, I mean, it, it sort of ties into this conversation. I actually had this conversation with um, uh, Valjean in a regional theater circuit, uh, Nihal jo- Joshi, who's um, in the cottage right now, and he was a Valjean in a regional theater, and we were talking about boundary pushing productions of Les Mis. 
um and why we don't see many of those we've only seen one two i think there's definitely the dallas theater center production one yes um which i'm off i'm memorized that choreography for one day more which is like i'm obsessed with and i'll like do it like to myself all the time yes but uh but yeah i think you know we could definitely start seeing productions of les mis in this you know we are we as a society are protesting and trying to strive for a better life and that's what these students were doing you know during the june rebellion which is lame is and many people think it's the french revolution it's not the french revolution it's post-revolution france the june rebellion that's what the that's what the two-day battle is um and uh you know where we experience that today and i feel like there's an incredible way to tie in 2023 america with you know post-revolution june rebellion france there's a lot of tie-ins there a lot of young people fighting for rights and recognition and better you know um circumstances so and also like privilege right like marius a very privileged individual gives up his privilege so that he can you know fight for what he believes in it's really wild how many comparisons there are yeah it's that's so real and and it it is such like a I mean, in its core too, it being like a revolution. Um, the I mean, I think the biggest similarity to, similarity as well is this the the pop music that both of them have. I mean, yeah, literally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we don't know what pop was in the eighteen hundreds. We don't know. Oh God, pop was like you know it. It is really interesting to like listen to like old school pop and like you know like i don't know who the singer is but there's this incredible singer from the 20s that's literally just like um she's like i want him to eat me out and (laughs) oh yeah it's (laughs) and she's like fully it's like 1918 and she's just Mm -hmm. like she's it's literally wet ass pussy but turn of the century yes And if that is not the same as Les Mis, like why we're missing that one piece in Les Mis, I think. that key point. Yeah, we know what, we know what everyone did with the loaf of bread back then. We know really what that is. We know. Oh, we We, know. (laughs) We know. (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, I'm good. Um, I... I uh, am leaving to Intimacy Direct tomorrow. I'm very excited about it. Um, Where are you doing it? Where are you going? Uh, I'm going to Catawba College, which is my alma mater. Fine. I'm going to be doing Spring Awakening, which is a show that desperately needs an Intimacy Director. So I feel very honored and very grateful that they asked me to come and do it. Um, I've seen some videos of rehearsals. It's looking really good. And it's gonna be it's just really cool. I'm really excited about it. It's a it's the first time I've had anyone ask me to travel to do this. So it feels like a really big deal. So it I'm is a big deal. It. Yeah, it's I'm exciting. Excited. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, so that's how I am. <laughs> I'm packing. Yeah. Gosh, yeah, you live bright and early. Yeah. Ugh. How long are the you life. there for? I'm there for like two weeks. Um yeah, I I wasn't sure when they asked if they'd want me to be there the full time because I've in some shows I've worked on they've had me there from like auditions all the way through to opening night which is like 
the ideal situation for me, but you know, times is hard. So we, we do what we can with the money that we have. So I'm there for two weeks. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So that's it. That's me. (laughs) Gosh. And it's like truly like step one too. Like, you know, it's like you're at a step one in a way that I think six months, I mean, you and I were talking about like the amount of offers that you've been given in the past couple weeks, even it's like one on top of the other. Yeah. It's been really overwhelming in a good way is how I described it in therapy. It's like, this is not a bad problem to have, but it's hard to keep it all in order. Yeah. How, luck- how lucky are you that you get to establish boundaries on your artistic life, exactly. right? And be like, exactly. what is my schedule? Where where can I find my my time to have me time? Where can mm-hmm. I for my family, for myself, for whoever? That is such an it is such a wonderful place to get into your career where you're literally like, and also, you know what? I don't need to do that gig. Yeah. yeah. I'm I'm okay with not doing it. It can go to someone else and it'll be fine. It's pretty great. Yeah. It is great. It's nice to have I know like as an actor it's hard to feel like you have control over your own career cuz there's so much of like please pick me, please choose me, let me do what I can do. Um so it's really nice for me as someone who's a little bit of a control freak to have control over the reins of my career. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, that's huge. It is great. It's nice to have, I know, like, as an actor, it's hard to feel like you have control over your own career because there's so much of, like, please pick me, please choose me, let me do what I can do um so it's really nice for me as someone who's a little bit of a control freak to have control over the reins of my career thank you i appreciate that yeah no please Okay. Okay. So, uh, Michael, how about you? What's going on? Um, so I'm prepping for Sunday, which is, um, Covenant House sleep out every year. I sleep on the street, uh, in solidarity with homeless youth after raising funds, um, so that we can end youth homelessness. Uh, it's my seventh year doing it with the stage and screen community. And um, if anyone wants to donate, that would be amazing because I'm under my goal for the first time in seven years. But um, $50 increment donations get um, you into a raffle for a free photo shoot with me. So um, if you donate $200, that's four entries, which is, you know, great. Um, but Ultimately, the funds go right to Covenant House. They were able to open in the past year and a half um, the new facility in Midtown, which is on 41st Street, and it's absolutely stunning. It feels um, not only, I mean, it feels Covenant House is very safe, but like it feels like fresh and new. And uh, we've seen, because I volunteered during the year as well, um, I see, we see 
how the funds help homeless youth. And it's really interesting because we're talking about lame is today and, you know, homeless youth and stuff like that. Right. And the, the Tenardier is happening and everyone. And, um, but uh, we see how the, how the funds really help. And it's just amazing because it's not just about shelter. It's about um, support for their futures. So, uh, there's Covenant House provides internships and they provide job opportunities and they provide like uh, uh, lessons on how to interview and career building and skill building. And it's really just an amazing place that I love raising funds for every year. Um, but Sunday is, you know, it's it's not fun, but it really is. um it's eye-opening and uh, it's a really special night because when the youth are in their rooms, we sing below them. Good night. You know, we sing like uh, lean on me and they like look out their windows and see like, you know, Rachel Brosnahan and Audra McDonald and Stephanie J block and all these people on the street below them. And we, you know, lay out our sleeping bags and sleep. And then at 6am there's like a, um, a get together and we talk about what the experience was that night. And, um, you know, last year we raised like, I want to say by the end of it was like $400,000. Um, wow. in previous years, it's consistently like in the six digits, which is amazing, but, um, it's pretty, it's, it's pretty special. Um, yeah, no way do we, uh, simulate sleeping on the street. We just do it in order to be like, Hey, you're not alone. And, Mm-hmm. You know, this is where people uh, see you and hear you and are working to help you out. So if you can't donate, something that you can do is donate clothes, donate whatever to Covenant House. But um, but if you if something that really helps is just like keeping an extra pair of socks in your bag. And if you see someone just like socks, oftentimes what we've learned from people at the at, at Covenant House is that like socks can be like more helpful than cash because during the winters a nice new pair of socks is like everything so if it just you know if you can carry like a pair of socks around with you and you never know who can give it to it's really helpful that's that's really great information and not something that i would think about because i would think when i have a little extra cash like that's the thing to give but maybe it's having a little extra cash in your pocket, go and grab like essentials like socks or maybe like warming mittens or something like that. Um, that's that's really beautiful advice and really beautiful that you uh, participate in that and how wonderful that the, the youth can feel like they are seen by people that they may even look up to. That's really awesome. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for saying that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And thank you for doing that. That's beautiful. Yeah. So if, um, if, if people want to give um, – to or if want to donate to the cause um we'll have uh we'll have that in the description where you can do that you can also um i'm sure michael will you have it on your instagram maybe yeah yeah i do it's in my link tree it's you know all that good stuff so yeah so absolutely um and you can do that even after sunday correct is that what you said yeah 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 you can always donate to covenant house it doesn't just have to be when we're doing our sleep out fundraiser you can always donate but Awesome. That's so great. And I love that you're giving, that you're adding people into a raffle for free shoots. That's definitely going to have 
Uh, I'm sure that's going to help people donate. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do it every year and I, I do it every year and I have a different celebrity um, pull the name. So it's really oh, sweet. like, yeah, Audra, cool. Audra's done it. Stephanie's done it. Braz has done it. It's just really, it's really fun. So um, I think this year, I, I don't know if she's going to be there, but I think Ari DeBose is going to be there again this year. Um, so I'll maybe ask Ari. So that would be fun. Oh. She's a favorite of the podcast. She's a, yeah, we love, we love, we love. Um, that's beautiful. And what an amazing tie into this episode too. Um, so with that, um, let's go ahead and get started. So today we're talking about Les Miserables or Les Mis as us Americans say it. Um, if you've never heard of this musical, then, um, how did you find this podcast? <laughs> because this is this is like the musical of musicals. Um, it's Cats and then this. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, so Les Mis is based off of the book of the same name. It is a French story. Um, it is uh, a French language book uh, and it has been adapted and, uh, and it has been... Um, translated many times there's film adaptations there's uh there's just so many adaptations of this story it is the age-old story um so the (laughs) book uh the book is quite old but we're going to be talking primarily about the musical because the musical in (laughs) itself is a massive undertaking so we'll stick to that story so it is uh it is by um excuse me if I pronounce this name totally incorrect. Uh, the music is by Claude Michel Schoenberg. Oh, work. Um, and then the lyrics are by Alain Baublil. Boublil. Ooh, Boublil. <laughs> um, listen, she's not a French person. And then Jean-Marc Natel. And the book is by Schoenberg and Boublil. <laughs> I'm going to be saying that for the rest of the day. Uh, And it is, like I said, based on the novel from 1862 by Victor Hugo. Uh, It was, it originally um, was produced by Cameron McIntosh. And it's, that's the English language version. The original French uh, premiere was in 1980 in Paris. And it was directed by Robert Hossein, Hossein, H-O-S-S-E-I-N. And so that's super exciting. The English language, um, produced by Cameron McIntosh, had lyrics by (laughs) Herbert Kretzmer, um, and has been running in London since 1985 in October. Like it is, it is a (laughs) massive, uh, it is, it has a massive following and has a huge fan base. Like I said, if you don't know about this musical, uh, then you probably are not a super big fan of musical theater, or maybe you've just never, you were just born yesterday or something. Um, it is the longest running musical in the West end. Um, and the longest running musical in the world after the original production of the fantastics, which I'm like, go fantastics. <laughs> you really do. You Truly, truly. Yeah. And I mean, and Tom Jones just, this past uh week passed away so um rest in peace to him so i'm glad we could give a little shout out um today um so it is set in early 19th century france and it is the story of jean valjean uh and he is our main protagonist so let's get a little bit into the background of this there is so much to go in so i'm just gonna do like i'm gonna do touching points um 
So it was originally released as a concept album uh, in the so in French language. The little engine, that and its could first musical just... adaptation was uh, in for mm-hmm. in French, like I said, which I did not know that until I started doing research. I thought it was the West End version was like OG. Oh, I did not know there ever was an actual French language uh, production of it. So that is really cool. Um, six months after the opening in Paris, Cameron McIntosh. Um, had just opened Cats on Broadway, and then he received a copy of this French uh, concept album from director Peter Farrago. Uh, and he was so impressed by the work. Um, and then he came to Cameron McIntosh after Cats and was like, can you produce my show in English? <laughs> so listen, like I said, it's Cats and then Les Mis. Um, they are one and the same. Um, so with the Royal Shakespeare Company, Macintosh assembled a team and they adapted this massive undertaking into from a French language into an English language uh, show um, for the for a British audience. And then after two only two years of development, which is crazy to me, uh, only two years uh, later in ni- 1985 in October, the Royal Shakespeare Company opened the West End production of Les Miserables. So that is just, it's, it is so baffling to me that it only took two years to translate, adapt, and put that on its feet. I know it was already produced in French, but like, it is just, only two years to make something that massive is just, they must have cared deeply about this story to make sure that happened. Yes. Yes. Um, it is truly, excuse me. So, um, so it was so successful, uh, in London that of course Broadway wanted to get, uh, its hands on it. Um, two years after it opened in the West End, it opened on Broadway in 1987 and it ran until May, 2003 and it had a whopping 6,680 performances, at the time of its closing, it was the second longest running Broadway musical in history. The show was nominated for 12 Tony yeah. Awards, um, and it won eight of them, including Best Musical and Best Score. There have also been numerous tours. There's been a revival at this point uh, that was at the Imperial Theater, which I got to see, which was like super exciting. Two revivals. Two revivals. Um, which I saw and- the first one as well. See, look, now we can we can like compare these revivals. <laughs> um, it has had numerous tours. It's had a film adaptation. Um, and it is just it is a piece of work that has just continued to come up over and over and over. Um, in the movie version was supposed to have Taylor Swift as Eponine, which is a choice. Um, so we love that we got Samantha Barks. Um, yeah, so that is like the brief overview of just kind of the background. Um, we, I'm going to get into the synopsis, but if we want to chat now about like the background, we absolutely can. I'm going to go into some of the cast that has been in this massive production, uh, but it's a long list. So we can go ahead and get started talking about the background if we have some, uh, yeah, there's, um, insight. There's an incredible recording. It's a video. It's like a 
I don't know what it is. It's uh, I don't know if it's from a talk show or whatever, but it's of Rose Lawrence, who's the original French Fontaine from 1980, of singing I Dreamed a Dream in French, which is so beautiful. But hearing the different orchestrations and hearing the different, um, you know, uh, Les Mis is one of those shows that is really influenced by the sound of uh, of music. Uh, of pop music which is really interesting you can if you really really um pay attention there's some really great comparisons on youtube that i love listening to specifically one i dreamed a dream comparison that starts at in 1985 no it starts starts in 1985 with patty then goes to randy and keeps moving on and it's just from, um, I had a dream my life would be so different from this hell I'm living, so different now from what it seemed. And it just like is clip for, it's like a 25 minute video of just that little stanza throughout the years. And when it gets to like the late 80s, early 90s, you could start to hear the same voices that are dominating Broadway around that time. Like the Lindsay Hately, like really pingy forward voices, um, the voices that you'll hear in like Closer Than Ever, those like Volpe and Shire musicals. Um, it's really influenced by the sound that's happening and and going from, you know, uh, that broad Patty belt or that Randy Graff belt to that Frankie Raphael rasp, that, that gravelly sound, you know, that Edith Piaf quality. Hearing that change all the way up until, you know, today, where now it's a, it's a sort of like really powerful mix riff thing. There's a lot of riffing going on and... Um, it's real. Les Mis is really a reflection of sort of the musicality that's happening in the world uh, surrounding the production, which I find to be really um, interesting and watching, you know, Wicked go through that as well. But then we also have Phantom of the Opera, which doesn't doesn't really change. So these long running shows, how they reflect sort of what is happening in the world is really, really interesting. But Les Mis is certainly one of them. Yeah, that's a really, really interesting way of putting it because I, I remember when I first was introduced to Les Mis way back in the day I, re I remember hearing on my own and being very and from the original cast recording and being very confused by how poppy it it sounded uh, because at that point I was used to like Leia Salonga doing it and I um, which is much more what I when I hear something like Les Mis this massive uh, 1800 story, you know, uh, I thought, oh, it'd be a more classical open back mix. But this forward pop musical theater belt with almost like you can hear pain in it in a different way. Um, it's more it's more close to a spoken text than uh, than a classical backward sound is so interesting to hear and to think about it from that perspective through a how pop has evolved and changed and how musical theater has evolved. That's a really interesting way of looking at it. They were going originally with Frankie. They were going for like an Edith Piaf sound, which is really cool. Mm -hmm. And like, a, it's, yeah. like a, it's like a pop Edith Piaf, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. And what I so appreciate about Frankie's voice and about her, her eponine is that it's, you hear the pain, exactly what you just said. You hear the pain, you know, Hugo in the novel describes Eponine is losing her hair. She has no teeth. Like she is like really ill. You know, there's yeah. a there's a reason why Marius, you know, I yeah. think overlooks her because 
the world has overlooked Eponine, you know? Yeah. And, mm-hmm. um, and Frankie is fucking stunning, right? She's yeah. so gorgeous. Yeah. She's, she's just as gorgeous as ever as she, you know, was when she was doing Les Mis. And, um, you, when you cast, you know, someone on Broadway and they're stunning, uh, and you go, wow, why would he look over her? She's beautiful. There has to be something else that shows off that symbolically what it is. And Frankie's voice, it's so hurt. It's There's so much pain there. And you hear the gravel, you hear the pain, you hear the loss mm-hmm. of hair, you hear that she has no teeth, you hear that she has parents that are evil and don't pay attention to her and, you know, sleeps in the street. And that's what I love about her performance so now we have eponines that are so beautiful and sing so like paint so perf so uh the sound is so clear that i go why i don't i don't i don't get it and it's it's not it has nothing to do with the actor but i just feel when a show runs as long as it does right um i think because people expect lame is they expect wicked they expect a certain thing it's hard to deviate from that anymore and it's hard to like stay as original as possible and i think the safest bet is to sound perfect and that's okay you know like it's okay to sound perfect but there's a reason why frankie rafael lives deep in my heart even kaho shimada who's on the complete symphonic version right kaho Mm -hmm. shimada Kao Shimada actually didn't doesn't know a, at that time I don't know about now didn't know a lick of English when she recorded Eponine on the Complete Symphonic Version she literally memorized Les Mis she memorized Eponine in English to record that album so wow. um, which is really cool but like yeah. her that pinginess that that fluttery vibrato that she has it's different it's it's and it's so much more interesting to me mm-hmm. yeah we we talk a lot about that perfectionism quality and like the vocal gymnastics that Broadway brings today and that there's not as much it's not as like driven not not all the time but in a lot of cases it's not driven by the story or by plot it's driven by like oh look what I can do and I'm so much more interested in hearing a unique voice like the reason Bernadette Peters is at the the height that she's at is because no she's not gonna she's not classically the best technical singer in the world right but she is one of the most beautiful actors and you will and everything she does is driven by the story and the character that she's doing but that's also the crazy thing is it's like she has one of the best voices like it doesn't exactly it, it doesn't matter it doesn't like i think uh is opening up all their can of worms um (laughs) welcome to our podcast i mean it's i love listening to a beautiful voice sing beautiful music as much as the next person always of course but if i'm going to see a show i will always appreciate a beautiful voice but the thing that will stick with me is the person that's a little bit different the person that sounds a little different that doesn't have that bright bfa belt you know and there's of course a time and a place but 
maybe it's just me. Maybe it's because I don't have a big brassy BFA belt, but I love when I get to hear someone sing like softer or have a different tone to their voice. Like listening to um, Ava Noblezada's like final performance as Eurydice, like, oh, it was beautiful. And she was, I mean, she's been killing it since the show opened, but there was something different about her voice in that final performance that was so moving. And that is more exciting to me as an audience member. You know, I got to, I agree with you. And I got to see Adina as Elphaba and, um, Oh, lucky. (laughs) Yeah. It was actually two days before she fell. Do you know that story? Yes. Yeah. It was two days before it. So she, she, they were her original last day at Wicked was supposed to be January 2nd and she extended it to the 9th. And I saw it on January 5th, 2005. And Adina will always be one of my favorites because you watch her use every muscle on stage. And I don't know there. I have a lot of these conversations that with people about, vocal quality and stuff like that and a lot of people are using the term effortless these days ah she sounded effortless i'm like so yeah No. Yeah. I agree. I, I no, You can it's... say as much as you want because we yeah. we talk about this a lot, not only on this podcast, but like just as friends. Like this is something that's really it's refreshing to like be able to talk to someone that's as deep in the community as you are and have like have a similar conversation because it 
it is true. It's not just us being like, no, I mean, we got to see Alice Ripley and Next to Normal and like, wasn't that like the coolest experience ever? And uh, it, it it's not like we just have like a specific instance where we got to see it and everyone else like didn't get to experience that, right? It's like, no, this is, this is just, I think it's a big reason why a lot of people have this um, ick towards musical theater because it has become this, oh, I'm, I'm safe. Like you said, I'm very safe. I play it just past the orchestra and it doesn't really go further. I don't, I don't leave, I don't leave feeling, I don't leave feeling exhausted from being spent emotionally because I just played it safe. And again, not for every person, not for every show, but there's this, uh, I think there's this conversation happening in training young artists that, uh, you need to be palatable and then once you're palatable then you can show who you are and I just don't agree because I don't want I don't want to go into a room and be amongst a bunch of cookie cutters I you want to be the one who's being yourself and being the most authentic and that's how you'll get work in my opinion look and see who's rewarded right Mm -hmm. Patty Lapone for a Joanne for a Mama Rose, Adina for an Alphaba, Bonnie Milligan for a, King, uh, um, oh. a Kimberly Akimbo, Billy yep. Por- Billy Porter for a Kinky Boots, um, J-, uh, J Harrison Gee for something rot. Nope, not something rotten. Some like it hot, you know. And it's like look and see who's rewarded. The people that are throwing that spaghetti up against the wall and seeing what sticks with an audience and taking risks. And it's like high producers, high creative teams, like. Look what happens. Like, why, why are we continuously playing it safe? Why aren't we? And I think casting directors are doing a much better job. I was actually, I used to be really yeah. hard. I used to be really hard on them. But I think after the pandemic, I can actually see more work being done, um, which is amazing, which is amazing. But um, so good, good job, casting directors. Can't believe I said that. Wow. But I think also a really big issue is TikTok. So, um, yes. so I think, you know, TikTok, I, I try my hardest to curate absolutely no musical theater on my receiving end. There is this video that I saw. First of all, I can go into yes. TikTok videos. Like that's a whole other fucking episode. I'm so sorry. But <laughs> Let's there do was it. this, there was this one video that was like the top 10 most unique Broadway voices. And I literally went. And I like the creator that does this. So it wasn't about the creator, but I was like, why do we have to make a top 10? Why do we have to, that's obviously that right there isn't saying top 10 most create like icon, like d- unique Broadway voices means that we're not being unique anymore. Means that we're not yeah. putting, I was like, oh, we're all starting to sound the same now because, yeah. and, and the people that were on this list were, Carol Channing were Merman were the legends that it Carol Channing is not a singer with a capital S yeah. but can I listen to her I can listen to her there's one clip of her on a on a talk show and she's uh the way that she's telling the story she is just she she and then she does this voice and this face and, and, and then she starts laughing and the host is is cackling and then there's a there was a clip that just surfaced of her with um, 
I can cry talking about it. There's a, a clip of her with um, Paul Rubens uh, of um, of uh, Pee Wee, and mm-hmm. they're doing this bit at, um, this uh, on a, on a, an award show, and it is side splittingly funny. And I don't think we have that anymore. No, we. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I agree. Yeah, I think. And with TikTok, it all comes down to like being palatable. What is gonna make? What's the easiest way to make money? You know, like it's capitalism. Capitalism is the bad guy. You know, it's what's gonna sell tickets. What's safe? And I maybe maybe I'm like totally off kilter here, but. I don't know, maybe part of me feels like movie musicals and, like, turning movies into musicals kind of created this, like, really strong, like, pop culture identity. And with that, I think, I feel like, and I could be super wrong here, so please tell me if you disagree. I feel like if I look at it, I can see the quality of music but also the quality of like the vocal lines and the voices that they're choosing to sing these vocal lines it gets simpler and simpler and simpler in terms of like how interesting it could be or how different it could be not in terms of vocal gymnastics of course but it's it's just very interesting to look at shows that are much older like a lame is and see how they cast that versus how they're casting shows today and what changed I, i think what changed is like you said i mean it's how fast can we get something out there so we can make as much money as possible and we can guarantee ourselves a lot of money i mean i love shows like um like once upon a one more time, I think they are so fun, and I think they absolutely deserve a spot on uh, in our musical theater canon. And I'm not trying to say that. However, there are an influx of shows like that because you can guarantee butts and seats for shows like that to an extent, of course. Yeah, and that is really important for post COVID theater, right? Yes, but, it is. You know, there's this. Um how do we save the American theater, right? There's that big mm-hmm. conversation going on right now. And I, I saw a list of plots from this trans theater maker that I really, really, really 99% agree with most of, you know, the things that, that she's saying. And, um, and I see, region, I, and this is also the same model of, you see it working. Why are you striving away from this? Like there are theaters like Barrington stage that I have worked at, and that I've seen following most of the things that were listed in this article. And there's a reason why they're Barrington stage because they do those things. And it's about the community surrounding them and they cultivate new work and they create jobs and they've revived that town. They revived Pittsfield. Um, And I'm like, okay, regional theaters, let's follow this model. It's obviously working. It doesn't matter where it is because they have taken the community and built it back up. That's what it's about. It's about building up this community and letting the community see themselves in it and, you know, not ignoring that there should be a Christmas carol at the end of the year that is a guarantee moneymaker that gets everyone there that will pay some bills, keep the lights on, but also you're doing a new play that is about A, B, and C that, uh, you know, there that will, you know, 
be low low budget and you know there were there was something that was like you know hold the um this was written by i want to i want to i don't want to um uh talk about this without you know citing them but it, it was written by um kate just says kate but it's kate um i i i i feel bad that i'm just like sharing it but it's kate um no last name which is kind of funny but anyway um i shared it on my facebook and uh you know making sure that when you hire designers that they can't go over budget or they're not going to be asked back to the theater like things like that mm -hmm. and um i just there were so many things that i agreed with that i loved but anyway regional theaters have to stop following the broadway model which the broadway model you know we're almost it's almost a two billion dollar enterprise and it is i just yeah i just had this conversation this morning with someone on my podcast that it is corporate it is commercial and there's no way to deny that and ultimately when we see these casting choices it's because you know i don't want to say they're safer because it you know we've seen some really brilliant performances um that could be deemed safe but i think that there's a lot there's a lot of actors that get recycled and that's okay that's cool you know yeah but there's also a lot of actors that are really capable and not only capable but you know just really just really capable to tell the story and should be telling the story yeah and being able to like as creatives on the other side of the table like being able to say let's take a chance on letting this person tell their story the way that they're gonna tell it and not this re a revamp of well i really liked how patty lapone did it can we find someone who does it just like that I mean, Patty Lapone's a bad example, but uh, but you know, it's like copying and like doing something that is like, oh, I that that was successful, so can we do it just like that? But it also it also here we go opening up another can of worms. <laughs> it also the actors have to start thinking like that too. Oh. Absolutely. absolutely. Um just gonna yeah. say the whole funny girl debacle. Hi, yeah, yeah. Was that is um, another can of worms. It is another can of worms. And <laughs> um, as a Jewish person, it really that stung. That one stung. Mm -hmm. um, of course, because I'm, I'm not trying to say that all Jews should be played by Jews. It's actually something that Jewish people are pretty passionate about in terms of like we love sharing our culture and we understand that many of us are. Um, white presenting and white people you know what I mean and that and, and that doesn't we are not saying we need to be at the top of the list but there are certain stories that I think should be played by a Jewish person and I think funny girl is one of those and yeah. um, people are like well blame the predominantly a lot of people are saying blame mm -hmm. the predominantly Jewish creative team and I'm like well Ooh they're not allowed to ask if someone is jewish that right. is against the law what basically what happened was 
the breakdown said we are searching for Jewish women to to this role and someone many people I'm sure were not Jewish showed up and that is telling the casting the creative team that you're a Jewish person so I don't know there's a lot yeah. there's a lot there that I find to be um interesting it's also happening with uh uh prayer for the French Republic it is a very mm. Jewish show and now two of the leads are not Jewish which is interesting mm. um yeah. But, uh, you know, I've had conversations with fellow Jewish people that are not on the same page as me. And then, you know, I've had conversations with people that have said, well, if Jews start playing Jews, should dogs start playing dogs? Oh, so I'm like, oh, maybe <laughs> that's why Jewish representation is important. Yeah. Especially so, you know, oh. I so yeah it's interesting and i'm like ah oh, weird but okay sure guess we're playing that game um i don't know i found that to i find that to be interesting and uh when i say that actors need to start you know understanding the space that they take up um i think you know auditioning for projects that you really are right for and mm -hmm. the stories that you should be um telling is really 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 important um, yes and that's one of one of the way one of the examples and you know it's happening the show is happening um yeah. so all i can say is i hope people have learned something about how certain people feel but no hate no no hate or service to this person that's a yiddish word no. nor no <laughs> hate or troubles to this person at all it's happening it, it happened and um mm -hmm. hopefully we can move on and 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 learn from this in terms of other historically important stories that have to deal with judaism yeah i mean absolutely i i think it's something that has been really we talked about drood oh love drood love that show we talked we talked about drood was it over a year ago now it's cat it might have been like two years at this point it was a it yeah. was a, a minute it's, been, it's a minute. been a minute and i got to play the chairman oh it was awesome what a gift yeah what a gift well we were talking about um andy carl and jesse mueller's casting in the revival yeah right and how predominantly that track has been played by white people and something that I, I brought up i'm feel comfortable being you know putting myself on the stake for this but like i was like but they're english people doing a you know being on uh being part of a troop and that's that's the joke of it um and how much have we learned even to from two years ago one being like yeah but just because it's like there's that's still not okay right like they're in cat checked me on that and um and we had a really great discussion about it but then on top of that it's um learning that actors have the control to say no to projects that we have the control that we have the ability to say i don't feel comfortable with the source material i don't feel this isn't going to be like this isn't me saying no to my opportunity it's actually I have a lot of, uh, I have a lot of space to be able to control the opportunities that are coming for me because 
I know that this isn't the right one because it's not my story to tell and that there's a lot of power in that. Um, and I think that has, there's been a lot of growth in the industry uh, learning how much power we have to say uh, no to things like that. I'm not of the school of thought of like being mad or angry at people about, about like, I don't want to say taking a job, especially, especially before this conversation, right? Yes. Like, like before we were talking about, we, we weren't really talking about this until pretty recently. Right. And, um, you know, it's, and traditionally, you know, certain roles have been played by a certain like it was okayed and so why not do it again and now mm -hmm. finally we're starting these conversations where it's actually not okay so it's like i am not a school of those thoughts of ever being like um we need to have a conversation with this person because it's like right we have to understand like where the world was at that time and it's yeah. like you don't magically just wake up knowing you have to you have to learn you have to mm -hmm. understand you've got to be carefully taught you yeah. know <laughs> yes. you have you have to because um uh so anyway i mean yeah i think it's it's um i think now that we're having these conversations we should be able to apply that and understand like you know my one of my i'm not even going to say who they are in my life because um i don't this is their story to tell i'm not even going to disclose their gender identity or whoever whoever they are but um they just got an audition for the lead of a show that was under um uh the uh, that was received negative backlash from a very specific community of people mm. and they were called in for the lead and like twice and mm. they said no both times because they knew how harmful the show is to a certain uh, uh group of people and they said no they didn't audition for it Wow. Yeah. Good for them. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's, you can set boundaries around the work that you are willing to pursue and then accept. And boundaries can be like, I, if you don't want to do shows where you are having to be involved or the show deals with like sexual assault, for example, coming from like an intimacy director's point of view. Don't audition for those shows. That's totally fine. There is so much work. There is work out there that mm -hmm. you can do. And I think the same can go for, like, gender identity, you know, your racial identity, your, you know, body. Like, if I'm, I'm not going to audition for the... I can't remember the princess in head over heels because I'm not a plus size person. And I think that that role should be Pamela. Played. Yeah. Pamela. Thank you. Mm -hmm. um, I think Pamela should be played by a plus size person. Mm -hmm. Period. I think I'm not, I would never audition for Tracy because I'm not plus sized. I would, you know, like it's about setting those boundaries around what work you're willing to go out for and willing to accept. And I think that, if actors can look at auditions, not from a place of like lack, but from a place of like, look at all of these opportunities that are available. Some of them aren't for me, but look at all of these opportunities. Like it's, you know, I, I just think it's a really interesting conversation. And I think it's important that we, of course, put emphasis on how the production team and the casting team and all of that how, what kind of role they play in it, but the actors 
absolutely play a role as well. And I think that's important to... I think I think also it shows the outlook you have on what you're offering because I think that's why multi-hyphenating is really important in the theater mm. because when you have, when you're able to tell stories in other ways, you don't have to tell the stories anymore that don't feel correct or right or perfect yeah. fit. Like there's stories that I want to tell that I'm not going to be able to tell as an actor. There's stories that I want to tell that I want that I want to tell that I'm not going to be able to tell as a photographer. So I have to figure mm. out the other ways that I could tell those stories and um, not, you know, I've, I went to every, when I moved to the city in 2013, I went to every single audition, ones that I was so not right for, ones that I was kind of right for, and the ones that I was right for. And guess what I got callbacks for? The ones you were right for. Yeah. I mean, it's, there there are some success stories of like i showed up to this audition i wasn't right for it but i went in the room and they wound up loving me and i was what they were looking for and they didn't realize it and then i booked it and made my broadway debut and i'm like those stories are great mm -hmm. but that's one out of and also you probably have been auditioning for those same people for 10 years yes, they yeah probably, exactly. they probably know you and trust your work Mm -hmm. and go, oh, why didn't we think of this person? We love them. There are so many factors that go into these stories. And there's a reason why parents are not sure about their kids going into the arts and the theater yeah. because it's so unsure. There's so many things like that. It's so, you never know. You just have to show up. Mm -hmm. Why not create an experience for yourself where you don't have to leave things to chance really when you walk into mm -hmm. a room it's because you know you belong there and you're the best person for the job mm. mm -hmm. exactly i i recently uh i actually recently like started thinking that way about auditions because i went into uh an audition for something and it's like i had i was in final callbacks and i uh i didn't book it but like i had gotten to a point where i was like i don't have to force myself to feel comfortable being in this room. I mean, just like you were saying, and I walked away from that saying like, I feel like so much of my life has been me trying to put on pants that don't fit. Like I can put them on, like I can zip them, but I have to like lay on my bed and like button them. And like, I can't eat heavy foods that day, but why not just put on a pair of pants that fit and you can move around in? Cause aren't you going to be happier in the long run anyway? And you're just, you're not going to feel nearly as uncomfortable the rest of the day. So I, I think that's such a beautiful thing that we're, I think all, all actors are, at least I hope are starting to feel that way about going into auditions. I just had an audition the other day and it was in person and mm -hmm. I, the casting director, it, so sweet so kind so nice i've worked with them before and mm -hmm. the re and the reader so sweet so kind so nice and they it was a very warm welcome it was like ah every room should be like this but then the creative team like the i mean the casting directors are part of the creative team that's not what i'm saying like the writer and director and stuff um the casting director and the reader were like 
they said literally Michael is a prolific photographer. And I was like, that is so sweet to like have that being said about me. And also like in a room like that and the other people in the room literally like they were going on they were talking about me for like an hour like me standing there being like that is so sweet thank you so much he just photographed this person and he's done this blah blah literally they literally the way that they responded was we're gonna start on page seven (gasps) (laughs) and i was like oh cool that just made everything's so much easier because i know i will not be working with you yeah yeah wow i will not be working with you so i'm gonna do the scene and i'm gonna leave and that's exactly what i did and it was so much the the, it was so much easier because i was the they made the decision for me Mm -hmm. yeah so um you know, we as actors do have agency, especially when we have other things that bring us joy and help us tell stories. But uh, circling back to, you know, the voices that we hear, you know, we have beautiful, beautiful, beautiful performers on stage and they're amazing. But if you're a young performer and you're listening to this, don't try to be them. Be yourself. Lean into the sound, the weird sounds that you make your humor that's what we want to see and that's my point because i don't want anyone to think that i'm putting any performer down or saying that we don't have originality on stage because that's so not true we do but what i'm noticing is from like younger performers they're trying to sound like something that they think that they have to sound like and um look and see who's praised it's yes the people that sound perfect and whatever work absolutely but the people that we are sitting here talking about there's a reason why we're sitting here talking about them and frankie is one of them uh frankie rafael is one of them judy kuhn is another right judy kuhn has an a stunningly effortless voice but it's backed with so much emotion that so much yeah you know it's it has to be even if you don't have like you know for young performers i like but i don't sound different i don't have this weird thing i don't have a just back it with emotion be an actor first you have to be an actor first i think that's what it boils down to is that um we're being vocalists first and not actors first and we need to yes Mm -hmm. yep well that's why i bring things up like vocal gymnastics it's not it's like that's really cool that you can do that but like i want to know why i want to know the why behind it like how does it push the story along how does that riff tell a different story um and yeah, exactly that. I mean, why why do you feel like you need to do an option up there? Is there an actual reason within the within your character? So Patty did that with I Dreamed a Dream, right? Originally written as they turn your dream to shame. And she literally was like, Can I let's go up with the orchestra as they turn your dream to shame? Because the orchestra was doing it and went with the vocals. Yeah. And she literally was like, Let the Fontaine should go up with it because it's like reaching reaching for the dreams and then it resolves again because you're not there. You know exactly. what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That's when it's backed with. That's why Patty is so, um, I've worked with Patty a few times. Um, mm-hmm. I love her deeply. Um, and, you know, I got to help her learn the opening to company, which was really cool. Oh, um, that is cool. Yeah, it's <laughs> epic. And um, that was a, that's an amazing story. But then I also, um, she 
so her son is my best friend and um uh we went to Ithaca together and she came and did um uh she came and did uh, a workshop with us one year and um she's so adamant about doing what is written Mm. Um, because then what happens is when we're focusing on all these vocal gymnastics right we're not paying attention to what is written what the intent of the story is we're putting our own stuff on it unless it's a show that really warrants that right there are shows out there where it's all where yes okay it is about the vocals and that's okay um and that's totally fine like uh it's written in that style right like little shop right little shop of horrors um Mm -hmm. i i just saw it for the second time off broadway a few nights ago and audrey too is a perfect example of that right the more riffs the better because um it's about that convincing it's about that grit it's about you Mm -hmm. know like feed me and um you're going to kill this person and I'm going to make it look and sound sexy and I'm going to get dirty and riff and skrelt. That's when it serves the purpose, right? To like have all those gymnastics. But when you're sort of just doing gymnastics because it's like, Meh, whatever. Yeah. It takes us away from the story. I, I, yeah, completely agree. Completely agree. On the note of Patty, let's talk about Les Mis because we still have a lot to talk about. <laughs> I'm so sorry. No, don't no. be sorry. We we were talking about that was we all went down a dumpster dive and I loved it. Tell me about Les okay. Mis, Lee. Yes, let's talk about Les Mis. Um, so full disclosure, this is a massive plot. Um, and it's uh, over a long span of years. So I am going to be using a uh, already written plot to help me make sure that I get all of the points across. And I found one that is from uh, the com. It's from the wiki and it is broken down year by year. So I, it's going to be really easy to track. And so people who don't know the show can follow along as closely as possible. So, um, like I said, this is from uh, Les Mis Musical Wiki. So, here we are. So, we start um, in 1859. I'm sorry, 1815 in Act 1. This is the prologue. It's 19 years after Jean Valjean. um, I'm sorry, after 19 years, he's been on the chain gang. Uh, Jean Valjean is... um, he has a ticket that he must display to be able to leave. and He's been condemned as an outcast. Um, we get to meet all of the prisoners throughout this, uh, and we see like the conditions that he has been in for 19 years. The bishop um, is the only person who treats him with dignity. However, Valjean is embittered by the years of hardship and repays the bishop by stealing um, precious silver from him. Valjean is caught and is brought back by the police, and he is astonished when the bishop lies to the police to save him. And this creates uh, Valjean's uh, idea to start a new life. The reason that he has been put on the chain gang is because he stole a loaf of bread for his family. So that comes, there's the moral issue of like, is it okay to steal a loaf of bread if you are trying to save a life to do so? And that kind of starts the whole plot for us. So um, Valjean vows to, because the bishop showed him kindness uh, that he's going to start his life anew. Um, in 1823, this, so we made a time jump. It's eight years after. 
Um, Valjean uh, has broken his parole and has changed his name to Monsieur Madeleine and has become a factory owner and the mayor of this town. One of his workers, Fontaine, has a secret illegitimate child. When the when the other women who she works with discover this, they automatically uh, ask her to be dismissed from the factory. She's desperate for money to pay for medicines for her daughter. And so Fontaine sells her locket after she's been cast out and she has to, she has to like go on the streets to sell anything that she has. So she sells a, a precious locket of hers for less than she should. Her hair, her teeth, and then finally falls into uh, prostitution. She gets into a fight with a prospective cust- male customer and is about to be taken to prison when Javert, who, um, I'm sorry, taken to prison by Javert when May- the mayor, Jean Valjean, arrives and demands that uh, she be taken to the hospital instead of jail because she is so on the brink of, uh, of passing away because she's so ill. The mayor, Jean Valjean, then rescues um, rescues uh, the person that she was attacking, um, that was attacking her, excuse me. Wait, I'm sorry. Okay. Later, the mayor rescues a man who is pinned beneath an overturned cart. Javert is reminded of the abnormal strength that Jean Valjean had uh, back in the prison, and almost recognizes the mayor but isn't 100% sure I love this part oh it's so good it's so funny to me where he's like huh I know that strength that looks so familiar (laughs) makes me feel Javert's a little gay oh Javert's there is Javert is a homosexual there is no way he would chase after that man for so long if he was not in love with him and also be like dude's strong also I remember a strong guy. <laughs> I rem- I could remember those glutes anywhere. Yeah, I think that's also why he's so dedicated to um, what he does and, mm-hmm. re- yes. you know, so religious because Absolutely. he's like, you know, he's overcompensating for something. Oh, oh for definitely. Something. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, they, um, so Javert is questioning the mayor Jean Valjean's uh, legitimacy and uh, it puts him up uh, and, and, and so we're questioning that already. There is a man being tried because Javert thinks that this person is Jean Valjean. The real Jean Valjean is watching this happen and is saying this might be my chance but I don't know if I can watch an innocent man be tried for something that I actually did to say that this is me. So in a fit of godliness, uh, he says, just kidding. I'm two, four, six, oh, one. And we get that iconic, uh, that iconic line. It's so good. It is so good. And it's so epic. Um, and so then we start our quest that now Jean Valjean is running again and Javert vows to find Jean Valjean and bring him into custody because it's his life's work at this point because gay at the hot, just kidding. That is not what's happening, but that's our take. Um, 
Jean Valjean runs to the hospital um, where he goes to a dying Fontaine and promises her that he will look after her daughter, Cosette. Immediately after Fontaine dies, Javert arrives and wants to arrest Valjean, and Valjean escapes. Another and great this song. Is this is the, the, oh. a great song. The confrontation is like one of the best songs in the show. <laughs> oh. Have you seen? It's so good. Have you seen the video of Jason Siegel and Neil Patrick Harris doing it on the talk show? No. They just oh, break no. out into it a cappella and oh. do it perfectly. That's amazing. It's it's iconic. It's really great. Um. All right. So now we have another time jump. It's eighteen twenty three. We meet Cosette as a teenager. Cosette has been lodging with, uh, oh, excuse me, we're not there yet. We meet Cosette as a young child and we find her at the Thenardiers um, who are horribly abusing her. In Montfamille. Um, uh, in yeah. Montfamille. <laughs> so French. Um, Thenardier's daughters, Eponine and um, Azelma. Azelma. Azelma partake in Cosette's mistreatment by uh, using her as a scapegoat and a personal slave. So they all just really rag on her. Um, a big reason for that we find is because Cosette is beautiful and comes from uh, comes has like money being sent to her. So they all are jealous, and you know how that how that goes. Uh, Valjean arrives at the Thenardiers and pay them to be able to take Cosette away but they try to swindle him out of more money. And eventually he's like, you guys are bad people. I'm taking this person away. So now we do a big time jump. It is nine years later, 1832 in Paris. Um, there is unrest in the city because the demise of their popular leader, the general, and the only man left in government who shows any feeling towards the poor. So, there's an uproar in the city. A street gang led by the Thenardiers, um, Eponine and Eponine, set up to rob Jean, Val Jean Valjean and Cosette. Luckily, though, Javert arrives on the scene and he puts a stop to the thievery and is about to ask questions of the victims when they disappear. So Jean Valjean and Javert are just like, they're close. They're close and it's... Uh, it's definitely suspenseful. <laughs> Thenardier then informs the inspector that the mysterious man is none other than Jean Valjean. When he asks um, another student, Marius, um, when asked by another student, Marius, uh, Eponine, is, who is secretly in love with him, agrees to help him find Cosette with whom he has fallen in love. So Marius has asked Eponine to come on this journey to help find the person that he's actually in love with while Eponine is longing for him. Oh, so, um, sad. so sad. It's so sad. The news of the general's death circulates throughout the city and a group of politically minded students um, storm out into the streets and start a revolution and are asking people to support them in this. This is all of Mar uh, Marius's friends. Uh, they're all like young teens trying to get the city to have an uproar about uh, the death of the general and to try to um, uh, uh, stand up for the poor. So Cosette is consumed by the thoughts of Marius, with whom she's fallen in love with after one song. And Eponine brings Marius to Cosette's and watches her, the two of them, fall in love uh, in front of her eyes. And... Then Eponine prevents an attempt for her father's gang to rob the Valjean's house because now she's trying to protect M Marius. 
And then Valjean is convinced that it was Javert who was lurking outside and then tells Cosette that they have to flee the country. End of Act 2. I mean, end of Act 1. I just, I have to let you know that during this intermission between Act 1 and Act 2, Mm -hmm. Brandy Graff just texts me. Oh! (laughs) Work. Her ears were ringing. Yeah, literally. (laughs) Are you talking about me? Yeah, yeah, literally. We're very Hello? we're 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 pals. I love her very much. Oh, that's so great. Um, okay, so act two. Yes. Act two. Act two is not nearly as time jumpy, so that's so we're here. So now we are um at the top of act two where the students are preparing to build the barricade. Uh, Marius is noticing that Eponine has joined them and he sends her away with a letter to Cosette. Um, but then is that letter is taken away by Jean Valjean and then Eponine decides to go back and join the barricade. So Cosette does not get the letter that Marius is trying to send her and Eponine is like, you know what? Fuck them boys. I'm going to come back and I am going to join in this, uh, revolution. The barricade is finally built and the revolutionaries, uh, defy an army warning to give up or die. So they are, they are really ready to storm. Javert is exposed as a police spy, and in trying to return to the barricade, Eponine is killed. And it's so sad, and she dies in Marius' arms, and it's just so beautiful. Um, Valjean then arrives at the barricade in search of Marius. He is given the chance to kill Javert, but instead he lets him go. Again, an act of God. Uh, The students settle down for the night on the barricade, and in the quiet of the night, Valjean prays to God to save Marius, who has been hurt in battle. The next day, the rebels are all killed. Mm. Valjean escapes into the sewers with Marius, who is unconscious, and after meeting Thenardier, who is robbing the corpses of the rebels, (laughs) work, he comes across Javert once more. He pleads for time to deliver the young man to the hospital. Javert lets Valjean go, and his unbending principles of justice have been shattered by by Valjean's own mercy, and so he decides to kill himself during the song Stars. Which, this is such a beautiful moment. During Valjean's suicide. I mean, Javert's suicide. Javert's suicide. Stars is in Act 1. That's his... Yes. During uh, Javert's suicide. Um... This is such a beautiful moment, which I think was totally ruined in the movie. Why? <laughs> yeah, why? Why would you think that? I thought it was perfect. Yeah, I thought it was perfect. Wouldn't change a thing. Yeah, <laughs> wouldn't change a thing. Well, the camp, the, the camp is what really um, sold it for me. Uh, when he throws himself off the... the but it's like, he doesn't even like throw himself. He just goes... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. It oh, was man. so stupid. That was the I was really moved by the movie because I'd never seen it live before, and so I was really moved by the story. But that moment I audibly laughed out loud. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Horrible. Yeah. Horrible. No. Um, so unaware of the identity of the rescuer, uh Marius recovers in Cosette's care. He had no idea how he got there, and then Valjean confesses the truth of his past to Marius and insists that he must leave. Marius and Cosette then get married, and the Thenardiers try to blackmail Marius. Thenardier says Cosette's quote-unquote father is a murderer and as proof produces a ring, which he stole from one of the corpses the night the barricade fell. 
It is Mar Marius' own ring, though, and so Marius realizes it was Jean Valjean who rescued him that night. He and Cosette go to Valjean, where Cosette learns for the first time of her own history before the old man passes away. Oh. And that is a very truncated version of Les Miserables. <laughs> it's... How many years is the story? It's like at least 30 years, right? Well, yeah, I mean, it... 1815 eight through is it um 18 it doesn't say here what how where we end but i mean he's about to pass away yeah so it has to be at least 30 years it's it's a long story i think it would be really difficult to like pace a story like this but i think they do such a good job of, yeah like, it doesn't feel like, okay, when are we going to get to the next thing? Like, it just kind mm -hmm. of... It moves fast. And they cut a lot. Also, because I read the book. Um, mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Good for you. Thank you. Um, Hugo describes a hole in the wall for 10 pages, basically. Yeah. He's very descriptive. So I think the musical does really great work in terms of moving forward. They've also cut characters. Like, Azelma is not in yeah. the musical um there's some other people that are not in the musical like oh god what's his face there's a little boy in the beginning um mm. that adds to valjean's guilt where he he takes I'm trying to remember what it was he basically takes like money from a kid in the beginning mm. and i think he gets in trouble with that as well um that the musical does not have so mm -hmm. um there's that in the beginning um which is really interesting uh you know madame Tenardier dies in jail uh oh. Tenardier um uh is he's on the hunt to be arrested but he escapes and goes to america and becomes a slave trader oh yeah it sounds right yeah victor hugo right. was actually um when Hugo died, when Victor Hugo died, the whole of um, France, actually, a lot of the prostitutes in France came out, stopped working mm -hmm. and dressed in black in mourning because Victor Hugo was extremely progressive and liberal and sex positive. So it doesn't. Mm -hmm. So also Grantaire and and Andras's relationship in the book is also very homoerotic. Oh, wow. Very homoerotic um the way that he describes their relationship and it doesn't you know uh i wouldn't put it past him if you know javert was actually gay because he was i think victor hugo primarily slept with many women but i think from what i read he did sleep with some dudes too and like mm. was just very progressive and very like power to the people and um kind of beautiful so the whole so paris really mourned him when he died which was amazing wow Mm -hmm. um and you could see that lame is because it's very you know it's very of of the people and um yeah which is amazing but uh you know the Tenardiers, the relationship is very um uh uh um divulged in the book but not so in the musical like people don't realize that gavroche and eponine are brother and sister and oh Gav yeah gavroche is the Tenardier's son um so a lot of people don't realize that because the way that the music is structured it's like only mentioned like i think once if that um very briefly so 
Uh, yeah, the musical is pretty is pretty pretty similar, but there are definitely some differences that help keep it you know moving along, which is really awesome. Um, a lot of things have been cut, you know, mm. in recent productions. Like if you listen to the complete Savonic version, which I love, there's a lot of things that are not in the music the versions that you will see today. Mm -hmm. um so you know it's really just sort of there's like three reprises of little people that gavroche sings i love gavroche gavroche is my favorite character in this show i love a little scampy street urchin boy yeah and and i think little people is just like moving to me especially like by the end when he like dies it's uh, I love I love him I know I love that song I love I love it too it's so interesting thinking we talked about Oliver a few uh weeks ago and um that's one of the longest running musicals in London like it it's the it's the musical that's produced the most in like regional theaters and stuff and thinking about this musical having a character that I feel like Oliver could have turned into but it's almost like the antithesis to Oliver Gavroche's or like his anti-story, which is just a really interesting uh, thought. Yeah. There's, um, you know, what's so interesting is in Covenant House, when we talk about youth homelessness, um, one of the things that Rachel Brosnahan says a lot in when she makes a speech or something, she goes, she realizes that there's, um, you know, one thing that separates us and that's the fact that you know um there were just a few different things in their past that uh a few circumstances in their past that i didn't have like we could have easily been in each other's shoes and i think that's a really interesting like correlation to gavroche and oliver you know it's like they could have you know um Gavroche had his family, but was in a worse, you know, sort of situation mm-hmm. according yeah. to some things. Like he was living in the elephant in the book he lives, and it was, it was in the movie as well. He was he lived his hideout is the elephant of the Bastille, and the elephant of the Bastille is that big elephant statue in the movie that he pops in and out of. It's not in the musical, but the elephant of the Bastille was really interesting. So I was studying abroad in London, right? Mm-hmm. I was living in London in 2012. What was happening in 2012? Well, um, I we were in the we were at the Royal Naval Academy, which is this really cool uh, place in Greenwich, um, mm. in London, and a lot of movies are filmed there. A lot of movies are filmed there. There's like um, a lot of movies that are filmed there, mm-hmm. and. Um, I, we were getting a tour of Greenwich from our teacher because our te- our class was structured so amazing. It was like we would learn about a place in London through a play that we were seeing in the West End, and then we'd get a tour of that place and how uh, historically that was tied into theater. And it was just amazing. It was a th- it was Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and the Wednesdays we would meet in a different place in London and learn about. This is where Shakespeare did the first production of um, Romeo and Juliet at Whitehall. This is the location here. We would learn. It was just epic and amazing. Wow. Um, So uh, we were in Greenwich and I noticed a bunch of trucks unloading a lot of stuff. 
and it was a lot of like wheels and chairs and things and i was like this looks very familiar mm-hmm. and i noticed the elephant and i was like pretty sure that's the elephant of the steel and they were building the barricade for the lame is oh, movie wow that's so cool it's so like this great picture of me like like <gasps> So then, so flash forward, right? Flash, so the elephant of the Bastille was there, and I was like, that's so cool that they're doing that. So um, flash forward, I saw, I desperate, I was desperate because Pippin is one of my favorite shows. Mm. And the Many a Chocolate Factory in the West End was doing this production of Pippin. And I was like, it's the size, the theater is the size of my room. It's like mm-hmm. of this room of my studio. It's so small. It's like a 99 seat theater, and it's in the back of a chocolate restaurant. But it's West End. It's it's like they get nominated for Olivier's and everything. It's just mm-hmm. epic. It's so cool. I love it. And when I was buying tickets, I was like looking up the cast and I was like, oh my God, Francis Raffel, original Tony winning <gasps> Eponine is playing Pastrata. And I was like, I have to go. Oh my God. Yeah. So I sat front row and at the end when they're, you know, doing the whole ending, I remember she at the lip of the stage bent down looked at me dead in the eyes and was like, you're the next Pippin. And, you know, this, like, new, this, like, you know, musical theater college kid was just about, like, came everywhere. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? It was just like, ah! <laughs> so, like, fierce. <laughs> and, um, and so, uh, afterwards, you know, we college kids able to drink finally, because it's London, and, um, we st- we went to the bar at the Menu Chocolate Factory, and the stage door is right next to the bar. And I see Francis Raffel come out in this like faux mink stole, and I attacked her and was like, "I love you. Um, uh, I was just you as Eponine for Halloween, which I was. Oh my God, work." <laughs> And she was like, can I see a picture? Because she was really tentative because in London, when you're someone for Halloween, it's sort of like a dig at them. It's not like respectful. So I showed her and she's like, oh, that's actually really lovely. And I was like, yeah, I'm not making fun of you. I just love you. And so over the years, we like, I like followed her on Twitter. Um, I'm not a big Twitter person. So Mm. this is before everyone had Instagram because it's 2012. And then I went to... Uh, the Deconstructing Patty concert after Warpaint um, one year uh, in like 2016, 2017. Mm-hmm. And um, Seth Rudetsky has Patty do I Dreamed a Dream. And in the middle of it, she goes, um, Ladies and gentlemen, Francis Raffel. <laughs> and Frankie walks on stage and they do this I Dreamed a Dream on my own mashup. And I was going to the after party after. So I went to the after party. And I went up to her and I was, this is five years later. And I went, um, hi, uh, Mr. Fell. My name's Michael. I'm not sure if you remember me, but I saw you do Pippin. And then she interrupted me and was like, you are me as Eponine for Halloween. (laughs) And I was like, yeah. That's so great. And she literally was like, well, I just moved here and I don't have any friends. So if you want to hang out, let me know. And I said, sure. (laughs) <laughs> and yes. I, I invited her to the studio. I got new pictures of her and we started double dating. And now I just like when she's in the city at her place, I'll go over for pictures of martinis. 
That's beautiful. Pictures of martinis. I love. Yeah, I don't black out anymore. I haven't blacked out in a while. But I went over her place. We went to go see Donna. We went to go see Donna McKechnie at 54 Below together. Hmm. And afterwards, we went back to her place and a few other people met us there. And I woke up. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Yeah. Work. They, were, they were they were making pitchers of martinis. That is insane. I've never heard the phrase pitcher of martinis. The Brits. Oh, oh the Brits. The they Brits. know how to do it. Yeah, I know. So um anyway, she just gave me her bed for the new for me and Remy's lake house and so we'll be sleeping in her bed, which is pretty cool that I have Eponine's bed. That is so cool. What a full and something full that, moment. What a full circle moment. Yeah, we also were we were in London together at one point and she we we were going to see shows that night. I was seeing company and she was seeing something different. But she belongs to like this um like this like members only club that she was like, Come before, I'll get you in and we'll do drinks before the show. And then we went out after to Groucho's Supper Club and it's Groucho's Supper Club. It's it's Groucho's, I think is what it's called in London. And we closed down the place at 3 a.m., like singing at the piano together. We both duetted and sang um, Old Friend from Getting Back Together and Taking It on the Road. Oh. I can't believe I'm just belting with Frankie Raphael right now in London. Oh, wow. Wow. And who knew that little musical theater boy that if you if he could see you now, he'd be like, what? Oh, my God. Yeah, I know. And that's what I love a lot. I have a lot of those stories in this industry, and I plan to have many more because I, I, I love what I get to do, and I love working with those people and um it's just you know this industry can be really really special yeah yeah absolutely i think i i i think that um those of us that are lucky enough to see how special it can be uh we're really really gifted and privileged to be able to have that yeah yeah um y'all want a dreamcast Let's yes i do do let oh can do i just it. talk about my favorite part of les mis first please of all. talk about Sorry. as much as you want so, yes i have a les mis tattoo it's one day more in french okay <gasps> so uh-huh. it's in victor hugo's handwriting he never wrote oh, the wow. phrase he never wrote the phrase so i found his manuscripts and i pieced together his letters to form it so uh- um i know yeah and Whoa. i got it, and i got it on june 5th which is the day of the june rebellion <gasps> Okay. Okay. We so, love layers. Lame is gay. Um, <laughs> the the layers are gay. So um, <laughs> so uh, there's that, and I want to. That's my. It's my favorite song of all time. One day more. It's 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 it's. I listen to it at least ten times a day in different versions of it, and I love yeah. to. Cause, you know. But I think my favorite moment of Lame is is. Um, is who am I? Mm-hmm. And musically, I think it's so brilliant because, first of all, I have this relationship with the show where as soon as I hear dun dun, I'm immediate sobbing mess for two hours and 45 seconds. Something about mm-hmm. it really just like makes me feel a lot of things. Um, it's the same way with the Titanic movie. As soon as I hear the as soon as I hear it, I'm done um, until the end. And Who Am I is really special, right? Because it's sort of on the cast album. It could be a skip track, right? Like, it's not I Dream to Dream. It's not One Day More. It's not Stars. It's not Master of the House. But it is one of the most 
I think the the integral moment of the show it's when he decides what he's going to do about the trial right is he going to save this innocent man mm-hmm. or he's going to go back to square one uh, and go back to square one and be on the run again and be convict number one or is he going to let him be wrongfully co- convicted and then keep going on with his life when he is when he is asking himself who am i you hear the themes of the other characters we are yet to meet, specifically Cosette. And I can cry talking about it. Oh my God. Because we are meeting Cosette and Eponine and Marius and everyone before we actually do. Mm, and beautiful. I know. And so, oh. yeah, it's, I know it makes me cry because it's like, you're just like, if he doesn't do it, he's not going to have the, that joy of that fatherhood that he gets to experience. Yeah. And he's not going to go on that journey. He's not going to be able to save Cosette. He's not going to be able to avenge Fantine. All of these amazing things that are about to happen in his life. And it's sort of like these like ghosts that are sort of like willing him to decide what to do. And it's yeah, um, it's like my favorite moment in the show. And and to be using the using those themes within the phrase "Who am I?" It's you are all of the things you're going to give to the world. that's so i i never i've never picked up on that uh in that song wow that's beautiful yeah also there's an interesting i really love the tenardes because they're so layered they're they're Mm. they're Mm they're they're, um yes of course they're comedy brilliance but they're incredibly layered because they're not they are bad people but they are a reflection on society yes right they're they are they're political they are political um they represent the opposite of who jean valjean is but they both do what they can to survive it's really interesting it's the how people survive and the tenardes chose this path and valjean chooses this path and the tenardes is really interesting because of course in the musical they're funny um but in the book it's i mean to madame tenardes runs the show which is amazing she work. runs runs the show and Tenarde is a little more like passive and a little more like eh, whatever but um it's pretty cool i mean i also love the trench coat moment you know valjean takes the trench coat off of um off of his back and leaves it on the chair when he picks up cosette and then mm-hmm. you know eight years later we see eponine wearing a trench coat oh <laughs> never picked up on that either pretty great that's awesome yeah you know i just love that shit so much yeah i mean it's the details that it's the details that make it what it is right yeah yeah and that's what i love about the original production so i saw the i saw both revivals and um you know i have my qualms about the current production just because of the design element um Mm -hmm. i think everyone looks so beautiful which is amazing. And I go, wow. It's really polished. I would love to live wherever they are, but you want it in the original production, you smell the stench, you see the dirt, the smoke, the grit, and you're there, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, I feel sort of this, you know, the current production since the, since they revamped it in London and brought it here and, and did all that stuff. It's again, has nothing to do with the directors and nothing to do with the show, but I think the, 
the overall direction that the team is bringing it into is is it's interesting um but i do miss the and there are some really great things about it that are awesome like Valjean, um like victor hugo's paintings as the you know in the back and but mm-hmm. the dimly lit you have to sort of squint to see those details thing like that's pretty yeah. amazing yeah yeah all right yeah. that's that's where i'll end oh, perfect. Oh, i love and yeah i agree i i think it being as polished as it is um leaves a lot to be desired when it comes to what story we're telling yeah yeah um okay so this is a massive show to dreamcast um i'm who who do we want to i think we should leave jean valjean to be kind of our final piece of this puzzle um so why don't we start with the tenardiers and then we'll work our way down Work. So I'm gonna say oh, me as Tenard. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I'm no, gonna go, say go. I'm gonna say me as Tenardi. I love me. I love. Perfect. That's Perfect. it. I think I think that's a great casting. Um, uh, I I think that it really is. Like, no, like I mean, truly. um, I think that this is a role that can be either someone who is so beloved, like a um. Uh, Danny Burstein, like, like a yeah, like a Danny Burstein is a is a great is a great one. Um, what is the guy's name from um, something rotten? Um, oh, Rob McClure. No, no, not Rob Brian McClure. Darcy which James? that would be interesting. No, no, no. <laughs> you guys. Uh, oh, Brad Oscar. Brad Oscar. Yeah. So it could like a class, like a classic. Like, oh, we know that he's gonna come in and rock this, but it could also be a like. Danny Burstein, like, what are you going to do with this role and, and make it surprising? You know, I, I would also like to see, like, an Aziz Ansari type. Mm-hmm. Ooh. You know, someone a little a little more mouse-like. So my my favorite Madame Tenardes in the past are Gay Soper and Jennifer Butt. And, um, Su- I, I mean, I love Jenny Galloway. But I think mm-hmm. Gay Soper is my favorite one. And she's a really tiny, scrawny woman mouse rat like mm. but i also love the jenny galloway that's like the broad busty woman mm-hmm. i love both of them and i'm wondering what would happen if we had like a danny burstein that's a little broader and bigger and then like an aziz ansari type that's a little i love that yeah um, mm-hmm. that power dynamic but i want to be tenardier tenardier is my dream role for madame yeah. tenardier I would love to see, and I thought about this before she did Ursula, but I think Melissa McCarthy would be an absolutely incredible. I think that is awesome casting. Um, Madame Tenardier is one of my dream roles. Like, I love, I I wish there was more juice for Madame Tenardier within this show, Um, but Melissa McCarthy is someone, like, I look up to. I, I mean... I cast like a fun like oh I'd love to see what this is like Catherine O'Hara as someone as playing a Madame Chardier would be really fun it'd be really weird um but also like my tried and true Bonnie Milligan Bonnie would be amazing I also think Bridget Everett would be great oh yes yeah that is really really good actually I would she would be great Especially the two of us because she's a taller, so like, uh-huh. and I'm five seven, so I think yeah. that power dynamic would be amazing. Yeah, yeah, 
Yeah. And I... maybe with the like, maybe with the scrawny, like thinking of like a more like scrawny slash broad as well. What is, um, what is her friend in, um, somebody somewhere? Jack, I think his first name is. Do you know who I'm talking about? Yeah. The, um, uh, yeah. What's his face? Um, Jeff Hiller. Yes. Jeff Hiller. He, the two of them would be a really interesting duo for that. They actually would be really good. I would love to. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be very different. Murray Hill, who's on Somebody Somewhere, um, would also be a great Tenardier as well. Who does Murray Hill play? Murray Hill is the one. Are you watching this current season? I haven't started it yet, no. Murray Hill is one of the queer friends. He's the trans guy. The one that talks oh, like, hey, yeah, guys, yeah, yeah. what's up? The like, the, like, head of their organization. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes. Oh, yes. Yes. He would be very fun. So good. I, I love went Cat. I think a very different route. <laughs> Always. Um so my first thought and I wanted to cat I for them I wanted to cast a pair. And I try to put this guy in every show that I can because I think he deserves all of his roses. So my first thought was Orfe and Andy Carl. Uh, <laughs> um together on stage anytime they're on stage together i'm like this is great i'm having a great time you're having a great time um and i think orfe would be a i'd love i'd love to see her uh madame tenardi unhinged truly unhinged my second thought was wouldn't it be interesting to bring back people from the original cast and have them play different roles so I cast Ooh. Michael Ball and Francis Raphael. That's as amazing, Monsieur and Madame Tenardier. I love that. Those are I, those are I think who I'd really want, but I would not be opposed at all to an Orfe Andy Carl Tenardier situation. I love that. Yeah, of course you wouldn't. You you I lo- that I love. you want to put them in everything, and I'm obsessed. Yeah, I love Orfe so much. I love yeah. Andy too. Give them their roses. Yeah. Of. Um, we have um. We have like a little bit of a, a a colon on the end of our title, um, like an unauthorized colon at the end of our this podcast won't run a week title, and it's like the Andy Carl fan podcast <laughs> because Cat casts Andy Carl anywhere she can. I think he's it's great. awesome. I think he's great. He's great. He is great. He's amazing. Um, uh, who do we want to do next? Um, um let's go to um. We, I don't think Gavroche we need to cast. No. Unless we have. Okay. No. Yeah. Okay, great. Let's do um, Eponine. So, I know. Okay. It's a tough one. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got a. I, I would love to see, like. See, that's who I would love to see as, like, Bonnie Milligan playing. Oh. Like, that belt. Mm-hmm. you know what i mean i would love to see her saying that i would also love to see um i would also this one is like it's really tricky because it's like there's so many incredible ways that you can like go um with eponine and it's one of those roles also that she's young but i want to see someone older play the role mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But yeah. um, I would say like, I'm trying to think because like I, some of my favorite Eponines, um, 
have been Fontaine's. <laughs> yeah, like in yeah, my I mind, hear that. In my mind, like Rachel York, Alice Ripley. Ooh. These are all mm-hmm. people that have played Fontaine's that I would love to see do as um, as Eponine. Like, you know, there's some great, like Carrie Butler was an Eponine, which I think is really cool. Like her really forward mm. sound, I think is awesome. But I would love to see like Janis Joplin do Eponine. <gasps> yeah. Oh, Absolutely. that's sick. Yeah. Really, really cool. Someone really rock it out and just see like where it goes. Yes, and I I also love having Eponine specifically as being this almost like anti-musical theater sound because she is so removed from the Marius and Cosette sound, which I think is is how it's written, but like really pushing the boundary of that. Um, I put Amber Gray. Oh, cool. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's great Mm -hmm. as well. That's great as well. She would be amazing. I love mm-hmm. that. I wish I'd thought of that. Um, Get with it, sis. I know. I I feel like this is cheating, but I and because she's been on my mind, it was like Ava Noblezada would be a beautiful. No, Eponine. that's that's not cheating. It's great. No, she played Eponine. She was yeah. In the, she played Eponine in the West End. She, like she's just it's such so good casting. So I was also like, I think Celia Pfeiffer, who might have also done it, um, at some point. Uh, yeah, I just think they're both really interesting performers. You know who could be cool as Eponine? Who? Adore Delano. <gasps> yes. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I would love to see a trans woman playing Eponine. Mm-hmm. Yes. She's got the voice. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. It would be epic. Oh, man. Absolutely. That is so, that would be really, really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I would be so into that. Awesome. So, Cosette. Cosette, Madeline Kahn. <laughs> okay. Could you, yeah. Because she has the yeah. notes. That's yes, that's she what does. She sings, but the humor that she would bring into it, she would find, she would make Cosette. I think a lot of people think Cosette is boring, and she's not. She's really <laughs> there's so much potential humor in there, and I think Madeline Kahn would be amazing. I love that on the 20th century, Madeline Kahn. Like, let's bring her in. Fairly. It's just so good. Yeah. Oh, I love, I love I that. Wow. For for Cosette, I cast Miss Julie Benko. <gasps> Ooh. Has she done it? I don't know. Maybe. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, Interesting. But in a similar way to what Michael said, of like, she's a little bit not kooky, but like she's obviously very funny because she's played Fanny Bryce. Um, yeah, and I think she would bring a little humor to the role that is much. I needed. love. Yeah, I said Jesse Mueller. Yeah, of course. Yeah, to like ground her a little bit, yeah, you know. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I love that. Um, um, okay, Marius. Marius. Um, I also want to say for Cosette, my friend Ray Letterman, because she did. She's played Cosette twice, and I think she needs to do it on the national tour, or mm. or the next revival she's just amazing um we got a cosette right there who is amazing i would also love to see um she did do the lamez tour and i and i know that she played the role but i would love to see britney johnson do it on broadway mm, yes as well i think britney johnson is awesome I, I would love to see more more cosettes of color yeah yeah um because i think often cosettes are white women yeah and I'm like, they are feels strange to me sometimes that I'm like, 
you're casting the person of color as Eponine. And yeah. the, it's just strange to me. I'd love to see some more, some more cosets of color. Yeah. I think that would be really great. Agreed. Um, who did you ask for Marius? Um, yeah, for Marius. Um, I would love to see, this is just like stupid, but Jonathan <laughs> Bailey would be adorable as Marius. <laughs> he would be so good. <laughs> yeah. Um, which I would love, but also like, um, I think like, um, oh God, who did I have? Because I just think Jonathan Billy is so hot, and I saw him as <laughs> I saw him in um, in uh, in Company in the West End. Uh, mm. There, there was a BBC production of Les Mis that came out like two years ago. It's like a six-parter. It's not the musical, um, and it's re- it's really good. And the guy that plays Marius is the guy that plays young Prince Charles in the crown. And he's, he's amazing. He's like a little dopier. He has like bigger ears and Mm -hmm. he's Mm -hmm. just a little like, like not strapping. If he could sing, I would love him to do it. Um, my best friend, Ryan Mack, who's one of the Fiero covers would be amazing. I'm trying to think Mm. of people that we like, we don't normally, you know, think about or, the industry has deemed as quirky, but they're not actually quirky. Yeah. Like I would love to see some like new faces there and stuff like that. But um Agreed. You know what I'm saying? Just yeah. A lot of these a lot of these younger cast members I want to see as unknowns. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Um all right, I want to hear Marius from you guys. Marius. Marius. Monsieur Marius. Yeah, I my first thought, Gaten Matarazzo. Oh, okay. I think he would. I know that I, I told Sam and he was like, yeah, a couple of years ago, he would have been Gavroche and now he's Marius. And I'm like, I think he would be just a really interesting look. He's not a traditional, I would say, Marius where he's like, not yeah. that he's bad looking because he's a very handsome young man. Um, but, you know, I wouldn't call him classically good looking. I think he's very interesting looking. Um, mm-hmm. If I was going to go with a classically handsome Marius, Mr. James D. Gish, of mm. course, I love him. But then I had, yeah. I had a thought, and this is a little off the wall, and I know this, a younger Christopher Fitzgerald. Aww. Like, he's so, like, so sweet. And it's yeah. very different than I think anything I've ever seen him do. But it would I make think he's... it would really make um that's what song? Oh my friends, my friends. What is that song friends. called? Um Empty Chairs and Empty Yes. Tables. It would make that song so devastating. Nice. Yeah, well I want I want Marius to look like a boy. Yeah. You know, I I know that he's like a teenager, but I want him to look young. Mm-hmm. And I think Christopher Fitzgerald just looks younger than he is anyway. Yeah. So to have him in his like early 20s. Yeah. Bach, you know. Yeah. Oh. Ethan Slater. <laughs> um, yeah. I love, I love um, Marius. I'm like Derek Klenna, you know, like. Yeah. I mean, look. A hot Broadway tenor. Sign yeah. Me up. Gavin Creel, maybe. I mean, I would love to hear Gavin Krill even just sing the score, you know? Oh, he's so good. 
What about Fontaine? Okay, Fontaine. Um, Fontaine, I need like a patty for Fontaine. Yeah. You know, I need, I want like um, a big, a big belt. I would love Catherine Allison. I don't know if we know who Catherine Allison is. I don't know who that is. Catherine Allison would be amazing. She has three Broadway shows under her belt. She's company Aladdin and Wicked. Catherine mm. Allison would be amazing. I would love to see someone like um, an Eartha Kit. Ooh, like um, mm-hmm. I would love to see like oh, like a like a grittier, you know, voice mm-hmm. there. I think Amber Gray would be amazing as Fontaine. Yeah, I agree with that. Would be cool there, um, just to like you know hear that. Just I don't know. Just uh, she's also a. a a voice that needs to sound like there is a change happening. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I mean, end of life, you know? Yeah. Right, exactly. I mean, this one I'm so excited about. Great. Um, because I think that it's surprising in all the best ways. We'll see. I Andy love, <laughs> I love that Michael mentioned how like poppy the score is uh-huh. and how it's like really, like reflects the time if you say taylor swift Um, i'm gonna close my computer it's not taylor swift i swear to god it's not taylor swift um that's jean valjean (laughs) i well my when i was dream casting my first thought was what if i just cast like musical artists Mm. and so i did that as like a fun brain puzzle but this is the only one that i kept because i think it's so good florence from florence and the machine Ooh. as my fontaine oh can you imagine that, like, her rich yeah. voice? That'd be really and, like, interesting. The way that her voice, even when she's not, like, wailing, yeah. you know, it kind of has that quality to it. Yeah. I, yeah. I love. my Fontaine. I love. I love. Thank you. Fontaine, I don't know. There's, like, so many people that I want, but I... I think more than saying like who I want, I'm going to say what I don't want because there's a lot of people that I am really interested in playing Fontaine. I think Fontaine is really open to interpretation. Yeah. And so I'm interested in that. What I don't want is someone who is a classic ingenue contempt, like, no hate to Casey Levy. She was, she sang this, she sang. And she's yeah. beautiful as a performer, but she is not my Fontaine. Um, no. She's not what I want as Fontaine. Um, and so, I mean, like a Betty Buckley type, you know, like someone who is yeah. raw. I mean, like we were talking about. Um, so that is, that's my only requirement. Um, sure. Otherwise, I'm very open um, to seeing who plays her. Yeah. Definitely. There's a I, lot. I really, yeah, there's so much of this show that I'm like, I am really happy with a lot of things except for these minor categories. Yeah. I really want this show to feel like fresh, yeah. and new, and not stale. Yeah. So that's my, as like, yeah, that's my thing. Yeah. All right. Javert. Um, Javert, I think Russell Crowe. Yeah. <laughs> no one's Where, thought of that. that. Is... That's so good. That is really, yeah, that's inspired. Wow. Yeah, thanks so much. 
I think Javert <laughs> needs to feel older. You know, mm-hmm. Javert is, is, I feel like there's a lot of like young Javerts. I'm like, I would like him to be like domineering and a little older. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, who could be kind of cool as Javert would be Anderson Cooper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, why not? Why not? <laughs> hey, I love. Yeah, and then we can do um, uh, what's his name? Who's Andy on Bravo? Cohen. Andy Cohen is John. Yep. That's so funny. No, you know the who would actually be a really cool Fontaine now that I'm thinking about it, and I would love it. SJP. <gasps> mm-hmm. Oh, I love her. Um, yeah. Now I'm thinking of like Kathy and Jimmy as Madame Tenardier. Oh my god. Oh my god. Yeah. Um, which would be really, really kind of epic, yeah. wouldn't it be? And Bette Midler is Javert. Oh yeah, fierce. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. I love that. I'm already listening to Hocus Pocus, just letting you know. Yes. Oh. oh yeah. We, it's Halloween. We, it August is Halloween it is. in this I house. Yeah. I know it's Halloween. I know it is. I know. It's time. Um I know. Um, this one was so easy for me. I didn't even have to think. Patrick Page. Oh, work. I said Mark Kudish. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. I mean, Norm Lewis. Norm Lewis is my Javert, but that's a cop-out because he played it in the revival. But he's perfect. Yeah. I didn't realize perfect. Alexander Gimignani played Jean Valjean in the first revival. Huh. Damn. Interesting. It's surprising. Very. I didn't know that either. Wow. Uh. All right. Well, speaking of the man of the hour. What about uh, Jean Valjean? Um, Jean Valjean is interesting because we can go a million different ways, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I would love to see Nihal Joshi do that like on Broadway because mm. he, sounds, he sounds amazing on that score. Um, I would love to see like, um, I would love to see, huh, I'm trying to think of, um, we both had a really hard time casting Jean Valjean. I know it's hard. I want to see me. I have Nihal Joshi written on my, on my note right here. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he would be amazing. I think he'd be really cool. Yeah, I really think that this is a role again. Like, I mean, we've said it a couple of times, but like, I would not be upset bringing in an unknown. Yes. Yeah. This like a debut situation that would yeah. be crazy. Right. It would be. I epic. love that. It would be career making. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Let's do an unknown. I love that. I think across the board, we probably are all going to say that <laughs> an unknown or. The guy that we saw, who I think you said this already, the guy who played um, Fabrizio in... Oh, Mr. James D. Gish. Yes. I, I couldn't remember if that was his name or not, but yeah. Yeah. That's, I think he would yeah. be beautiful. He's too young right now, when but... He's, when he's older, definitely. When you're older. All right. When Here's my list. An unknown, I think, would be amazing because I love a career-making performance. Um, Raul Esparza, I think, could be interesting. Whoa. I know. I don't, can he um, sing that? I don't. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I. It got to a point where I was like, I can't. I'll like try to keep it to guys who I think could possibly sing it, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure. 
I can't check that because then I won't be able to cast anybody. Right. Um, a Michael Survey or Cerverus, I think would be interesting. Uh, Brandon Uranowitz. Oh, whoa. Okay. I, know. I I know it would be very different, but I think he's such a talented actor, and I would love to see him do something like this. Yeah, okay. Which is also maybe why I was so interested in the idea of him as, like, a Leo Frank type. Like, someone sure. who is so... The story is about him, and he's on stage the whole time. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's that, folks. That's that. That's all, folks. Well, um, with that, Michael... Thank you so much for joining us. You're so welcome. You are so wonderful. This was such a juicy conversation. Um, this is this was so fun. You're like our first guest that we've had in a while. So this was a really refreshing, uh, mm-hmm. a really refreshing episode. Is there anything that you want to put out there that where people can find you? Anything you want to shout out? Yeah, follow at the Michael Kushner on Instagram and TikTok. Amazing work. Yeah. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Uh, you're going to find out what we're doing in September when we post it, and you're just going to have to deal with it, so suck it. Our anniversary and month. It's a surprise our, what we're doing. It's it's a surprise. Only we know. La, 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 la. Jackson. Eh. All right. Uh, thanks so much for listening. We love you lots. Bye, y'all. You're amazing. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to This Podcast Won't Run a Week. If you'd like to support us, be sure to rate, review, follow, like, and subscribe wherever you listen. If you're interested in additional very cool content, you can head over to patreon.com slash thispodcastwon'trunaweek. You can check out all of our social media information as well as performance links in the description of this episode. Thanks for listening. We love you lots. Goodbye.